This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. Because you're listening to this podcast, we at Blue Wire want you to know this. One, we freaking love you. And two, we want to learn more about you. Help us make more content you'll love by filling out a survey you can find in the description of this podcast. You'll help us out a ton, and you'll have a chance to win a Blue Wire t-shirt, hoodie, or a pair of AirPods. We appreciate you, hope you're staying safe, and want you to enjoy this podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Prospects 101, brought to you by Blue Wire Pods and Bet Online. And welcome to Recruiting Roundup. Recruiting Roundup is our weekly show that drops on Fridays, bringing you all the news and analysis from the past week of recruiting. You can follow and interact with us on all social media accounts at Prospects 101 Pod. I'm Kenny Keller, and I'm joined by Brandon Glessner. Hey, what's up, guys? And I'm also joined by Brandon Pastel. What's up, all you Prospect 101 fans? So, guys, I'm kind of having a bad week this week, and, and let me tell you why. I was flipping through my channels on, on TV and, and looking through for something to watch, and I noticed NFL Network, when I scrolled over it, it said, remove from network. And I was like, wait a minute, what? So I clicked back on it, and then I look it up. Apparently, NFL Network is in a dispute with Dish Network, Dish Network and Sling TV, which Dish owns, and they pulled their – they pulled the network off the air. It's like a rights fees dispute that they're having. So right oh now there's God. no there's no NFL network where I live. And not only that, Conference USA plays on NFL network. And I'm just so I'm like I'm really hoping this gets resolved by August. I've like the latest. Dude, I've had my own issues with whistling. I remember last year I I have YouTube TV and Netflix and Hulu and the the Husky game, they were playing BYU, and I couldn't get it on YouTube because it was on, like, the Pac-12 network. Well, like, the Pac-12 network is only on Sling. Like, that's it. <laughs> that's the only streaming service. And so I watched it for that one game, and then it was – other than that, I just scrolled through, and really nothing else for me there was Sling. But, man, nothing worse than, like, a, a crappy dispute during this COVID time when you need sports – and now Kenny can't even get enough on that. You get that. You know what like really grinds my gears at this point is like we literally just sent someone to outer space was a couple weeks ago. And yet in today's technology with TV, like the fact that we can't just pay to watch Conference USA, like ten bucks a month, 
that we just can't watch. If I'm a Cincinnati Bengals fan, I just can't pay, you know, 50 bucks a year just to watch Cincinnati Bengals games. The fact that we just can't have access to every single sporting event that we want to have access to is mind-blowing that you have to pay for either direct TV to only get the NFL ticket or you can only get ACC Network if you have Xfinity. Mm-hmm. Like, it just blows my mind that we just can't watch sports at a, at a moment's notice if we want to pay for it. I think – I think as long as you're not in their local market, I think the only two sports that you can watch like your favorite team like that would be NBA and MLB with their packages on their that you can get on your phone and stuff, right? Like NBA League Pass and MLB Extra Innings. So I think you can you can choose to watch like if I was I'm obviously a Nats fan, so if yes. I lived in Georgia, I could watch the Nats and, and just only the Nats on their Extra Innings package is like a certain thing. Same with League Pass for the NBA, but I don't think – yeah, you can't do that with football, and, and I, I know you can't do that with college football. It, it is absurd. And then what makes Major League Baseball extra innings even more of a farce? So, again, I'm in Richmond, and technically I'm in the Nats market, but I'm, you know, I'm two, two and a half hours away from D.C., and so even though that I'm not there, I still can't get – I still can't get uh, uh, Major League Baseball extra innings just for the Nats. Like, they won't let me get it because they're in my local market. I could literally get any other team, but I can't get the Nats. And I even tried to get another team's, like, get the whole package where I could watch other games. Nope, they still black out the game that the Nats play on. Uh, it's wild, dude. <laughs> it's it's crazy, man. These TV deals are, are you know, it's so much money. That's, they, that's why they do it. it they're yep. making so much money off these TV deals. They definitely don't want people not watching – those those TV programs so they they can re- use leverage uh, in negotiations later. But anyway, yeah. So NFL networks off, and it's right around the time, of course, where like I'm starting to get amped for NFL, and like NFL magazines are coming out and preview preview editions, and I'm like, yeah, I'll tune on, I'll tune into NFL Network. Nope, it's not there. So I'm dealing with that right now, and it's not making me happy. But anyway, look, it's fr- it's Friday, it's recruiting roundup, and. You know, let's talk about some recruitment news. And normally we're talking about high school recruiting or, you know, kids recruited out of JUCO colleges. But today we want to focus on something that's not really talked about in terms of recruiting. It's talked about a lot, but you never really hear it talked about from a recruiting standpoint. And that is coaches who are having to learn how to recruit in the transfer portal. So today is our transfer portal recruiting edition. And and guys, I want to, I want to get your thoughts on the proposed rule that, it sounds like it's going to pass, but they haven't voted on it because of the pandemic. They keep pushing the vote. But it's about the one free transfer rule proposal that is out in college football to vote on right now about allowing a kid who commits to a college one free transfer without having to sit out a year throughout his career. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, we had uh, the linebacker coach for Memphis, Joel Elliott, on for interview a couple of weeks ago. And there were some interesting thoughts that I never thought about. And I don't think Glesson did either when he mentioned the transfer rule. Cause I think me and Glesson were thinking, you know, uh, big time, you know, SEC schools, players, they, they drop down to go play at Memphis or they go drop down and play at a smaller G5 school. But what he was kind of worried about, it was a guy that's like, you know, their starting quarterback or starting running back going up to play, to go mm-hmm. play at LSU, to go play at Alabama one year, to go play in these big time games. So, First of all, I like it. I think if a coach – and this is where I have absolutely changed in the last three three years, mind you. I, I hated the transfer rule because I thought it was, a, it was Pandora's box. It was going to open up a things that people couldn't even imagine as far as the transfer allowing them to do it. Cause then you're recruiting 24-7, even with your own players. But that being said, I think if the coaches can leave at a moment's notice, I think the players should be able to have a one-time fit. 
especially players that, I mean, they, say Georgia, for example, you get the number one, number one, number two quarterback in the nation uh, as a high school uh, quarterback, and then you got a guy like JT Daniels, a couple of weeks later, transfers to your school, and it's like, well, crap, I would have never signed with you knowing that you were going to have two, you know, potential NFL caliber quarterbacks in front of me. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it gives that quarterback another chance if he doesn't beat them out to go transfer to somebody and not hurt their potential to go play in the NFL. So I'm all for the one-time transfer rule. I do think it is interesting that you're going to have players from the big-time uh, programs go down to G5, and then you're going to have G5 players go up to, you know, to the Power 5 conference mm-hmm. as well. It's going gonna, it's gonna to kind of break even, I think, at the end of the day, but you're going to see a lot more people moving. And I think the hardest part has got to be with the coaches, knowing that not only are you recruiting high school athletes, you are now recruiting your own athletes on your own team, mm-hmm. trying to keep them to stay. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm still on the fence about it. I'm not as, it, as all in for it for a couple of different reasons. One, I think it puts a huge stressor on Division One college coaches. Not only do you have to go out and recruit high school kids, but now you have to keep kids that are in your program in, like, you have to constantly keep recruiting your kids in hopes that they don't leave for the fact of depth, right? And I think that's – I think it's tough, and I think it's just another added stress on the coaching position. So I, I'm going to be curious on how that turns out now in the sense that is it fair for a kid to leave when he gets recruited by a coach and the coach leaving? I get that argument because coaches move – the velocity of coaches moving jobs is unlike anything we've seen in the past – so I get I get that argument and I understand it, but I will say I think that's a I, I think that there may end up being unintended consequences where if you're in the middle of the season and maybe you were the main recruiter for a kid who went to USC and I'm at I'm at Oregon and then the middle of the year, you know, you're still hitting that kid up, right? Like as a coach, I don't want anybody talking to my kid in the middle of the season, putting thoughts in his head about going somewhere or not playing as hard or, oh, you're not getting the playing time you deserve. Now, it also could be said that that's going on now, um, but I think that this would just give that much more incentive to go ahead and do stuff like that. And then then the third point is, and just like Brandon said, when we had Joel on – is that it's not, you know, for him at Memphis, it's not really a lot about kids dropping down. It's more about kids moving up to a power five conference. And, and how is that going to benefit? How is that going to impact Memphis from a scholarship standpoint, right? Like that should be docked from Alabama in that situation, Alabama's pool from that class. It should add an additional one on for that year. Thus, not making this the wild, wild west. I just hope that it's regulated enough to not make it the wild, wild west. That's what I hope for. I think, I think the NCA probably will regulate it because the NCA is not very, is not known as being a pro- very progressive organization in terms of keeping up with the times. So I'd imagine there's going to be some limits or, or restrictions or regulations to it that they haven't really briefed about, uh, briefed us about yet. It would be my imagination. Um, I just I don't the NCA has always tried to avoid the wild wild west so plus I think from that standpoint I think they'd be okay but I, I'm similar to Brandon Pastel I, I'm similar to you I think I would have you know four or five years ago been more against this but like Gless said seeing the velocity of coaching changes seeing stuff that's what happened with like Manny Diaz and and guys like that who are named head coaches and they leave six you know six months later or 
guys like uh, you know the Arkansas State job a couple years ago where it was a new coach every year for like three or four years because they just kept using that school as a pedestal. So I get that. I, I think that's only fair if the coaches can roll like that and, and they're and their recruiting class that they initially signed, they bail on them. And sure, and I think also, you know, if you're a guy who signs with a program and then all of a sudden you're hit with all these grad transfers or or guys in front of you who weren't there when you initially signed your letter of intent, sure, I think you should be free to leave as well. But I, I do agree with you, Gless. I hope it doesn't turn into like a bunch of tampering and a bunch of, you know, shady behind the scenes stuff. I hope that they keep it pretty transparent. And, and my guess is, is you're going to see some shadiness, but I think the M, the NCAA is, it will, will definitely put some sort of penalty or restriction on it would be, would be my guess. Um, but that being said, you know, talking about transfers and talking about recruiting uh, out of the transfer portal, let's focus on some of the biggest transfers of this off season. And I think uh, one of the biggest ones was, Jamie Newman, uh, quarterback at Wake Forest, who transferred to the University of Georgia. I, I don't know if this move could be overstated enough. I think it's a massive, massive get for Georgia. I think Jamie Newman's one of the top ten quarterbacks in the country. And I know you're probably thinking, well, he's biased. He's a Wake Forest fan. But, I mean, he's a really, really, really good quarterback. He's a really great caliber quarterback. And to be honest, I think he fits – Todd Munkin's offense perfectly at Georgia with how they want to open it up. And he's going to bring an element to Georgia that we haven't seen in a long, long time. I, I can't remember the last time we've, we've had a dual threat quarterback at Georgia because before Fromm, it was Aaron Murray for four years. And I, and I, I don't remember who was before Aaron Murray, but I, I, I don't think it was a, uh, a dual threat guy. The, the last time Quincy Carter, I'm going to throw that name out there. <laughs> I see. I was thinking DJ Shockley. That was in my head. Was DJ uh, Shockley? Shockley could uh, he may be able to qualify there. Yeah, I mean he he was an extremely productive player at Wake in in a Power Five conference. It'll be interesting to see how he translates translates to SEC defenses every Saturday. Where really, to be honest with you, the the, the best two defenses he probably played while he was at Wake would have been UVA and and Clemson. But he's going to mm-hmm. get. Clemson-like and UVA-like defenses every week, so it'll be it'll be something that that I will certainly turn, tune into and see if he can elevate his play uh, to play on that high level every single Saturday for Georgia. I feel like Georgia has been like stuck behind Alabama, trying to break through. They just and they've had you know NFL caliber quarterbacks and all pro type of athletes outside of the quarterback position, and just can't make that breakthrough. I mean, at what I mean, I think Jamie Newman might, might just be that injection that the Georgia program needs to make that breakthrough. You see, he is a dual threat quarterback, and honestly, like the standard principal quarterback that Georgia's been going after the last few years, which again is NFL type of caliber quarterbacks, hasn't worked. It has not worked. It has not paid off for them to go to the championship game and win the championship game. So maybe Jamie Newman, and by all means, he's a good passer as well. He's not just a dual threat quarterback. He might just be exactly what Georgia's program needs to get over that hump. Do you think – do you – okay, so I, and, and I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer here, but do you think Georgia regrets letting Fields slip away to Ohio State? Do you think they should – do you think in hindsight maybe it would have been better if they picked him instead of Fromm, or do you think they made the right choice with given the information they had at the time? What do you think? Because it's hard to imagine that, that, that Fromm looked that much better than Fields based off of what we saw at Fields last year at Ohio State. I think it's a tough question, but I think the the Ohio State offense fits Fields' skill set a lot better than what Georgia did. I think what Jake 
Fromm did at Georgia is basically what the, they wanted the Georgia offense to be like. Big offensive line, solid running game, under center, pretty pro style. And not saying that they wouldn't have changed that for Fields because they probably would have. But I think that I think that he, he was such an outstanding fit for what Ohio State wants to do on offense. So maybe, I guess it's always, you know, you can always play, you know, Monday morning quarterback. But, you know, if Georgia goes and wins the SEC last year and makes it to, mm-hmm. you know, makes it to the college football playoff, you know, we're probably not having this discussion. But the fact that they, you know, and they had a great year last year. I mean, they went to the SEC championship and got thumped by maybe the best college football team of all time. Um, and certainly the 15-0 record and everything they did kind of gives credence to that. So maybe the other thing about Fromm, too, is Fromm took him to a national championship game. And in that national championship game, if you don't have a guy by the name of Tua Tonga-Valoa come in the second half, Georgia high steps to a national championship. Yep. So, you know, and then Jake Fromm is, has his statue up there, and, you know, he's a Georgia quarterback legend. And he'll always be known at Georgia because of all the wins and – and obviously it wasn't all him. You know, they had a great defense, a great offensive line, and great running backs. But, you know, I look, you can only play so many quarterbacks at the same time. And when you have a guy that has the experience that Fromm has, the offense that they ran, and to be honest with you, the success they had, maybe, you know, if Fields goes and wins the national championship this, this year, maybe you could make that argument. But I think Georgia should be proud for what they did with, with Jake Fromm at the helm. You, you know what's nuts is the fact that a backup quarterback, Tua, beat Jake Fromm in the national championship, Jake Fromm's, you know, true freshman year. And then the very next year, the backup quarterback, Jalen Hurts, comes <laughs> in when they were up by like seven or 14 points in the fourth quarter and comes back and beats Jake Fromm in the SEC championship. So it's almost like the the detriment of Jake Fromm's career so far has been the backup quarterback for Alabama, being both Jalen and Tua, to give him two different games. If he he wins both those games, I mean, Jake Fromm's a legend at Georgia. He's a freaking legend. Yeah, yeah. If they win two games right now, yeah, we're talking about Jake Fromm and that decision in a whole different light. That's for sure. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? Bet online is hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Well, sticking with the quarterback position, another big transfer this offseason was, was my guy, KJ Costello from Stanford, transferring to Mississippi State. And I think this is one of the bigger moves as well because if you look at what Mississippi State had at quarterback last year, uh, really, you know, they, they flip-flopped a lot between two quarterbacks, and, and the only guy who is left is is Garrett Schrader, who had his moments. He had that very cool play where he was running down the sideline, dove for the first down and got helicoptered in the air and, and fell short. But it was, it was a really cool highlight. But honestly, as a passer and someone who – 
in Mike Leach's system, I don't know if he really fits. You know, last year he had 57.5% completion percentage, only 7.6 yards at attempt. Uh, didn't really have a great touchdown inter- interception ratio. He's yeah. really known as a as truly a run first kind of guy. You know, he averaged he had 587 yards on the ground with 5.2 yards of carry. So this gives Leach instant credit an instant credibility credibility as a starting quarterback uh, with KJ Costello. What are your guys' thoughts on this move? Yeah, I like to see Costello play a healthy season. Last year he wasn't wasn't healthy, uh, which is why I think a lot of people. Well, I think it's why the Stanford program struggled based on normal kind of Stanford, the standard that they've set there as far as wins per season. And I think there was a, a correlation with that with Costello. I think he had a nice career at Stanford. I think the reason why it's such a big get for Mike Leach at Mississippi State is that he can instantly go in there and be competitive quick because if you're going to rely on Mike Leach going out and getting recruits, I mean, Leach has really never been known as a fantastic recruiter, but the ability to get a quarterback who has started multiple seasons in a power five conference uh, to your program, I think it, it, it speaks loudly for the chances Mississippi state has to compete in the sec West this year. Cause without him, I don't know how good that they would be, especially in Mike Leach's first year. Mm-hmm. Especially in the SEC, you got to start quick, and I don't. I, I just don't know. I think Garrett Schrader is a is a P five starting quarterback. I just don't know if he's a P five starting quarterback in a Mike Leach air raid system. That's just not who he is. He's not a natural thrower. He's a guy who improvises, makes a lot of plays with his feet. He throws decently well, but if he's got to drop back 50, 60 times a game, and you're relying on him to make make a lot of good throws, I just don't. I just don't see that happening. I think KJ Costello fits a lot better. Pastel, moving over to your guy, moving over to our next transfer, and that's Quincy Roche from Temple, defensive end. And, and he went from Temple to, to the U, Miami. I know you're a big fan of this guy. What, do you, what are your thoughts on this move? This is extremely productive, and everyone just kind of looks immediately at his body frame, and they see the, the fact that he's very underweight, and they automatically kind of devalue him because they don't see that translate into the NFL that well. But bottom line, on the, project, on the college level, he is that productive. He is that good, regardless of what you project him at the NFL level. At the University of Miami, he's going to be a stud defensive end. Mm-hmm. And you add him on top of an already uh, good defensive line to highlight, you know, Rousseau on the other end, who is projected in many mock drafts as a top 10 player, if not top five player, who do you double team? Well, I mean, you can do so many different kind of sets with these guys. And mind you, both of them are extremely athletic, extremely lean, and they can move all over that uh, defensive line, not only on the outside in the five technique, but they, can, they have all shown to move in the three and the one technique. What do you do when you have multiple players on the defensive line? And I think he just adds another whole element. And he's very, again, he's very good. So I, I'm big on him just because of what a Miami, I guess, already has. So, I mean, you just kind of tap on them. Who do you block at this point? And that's why I kind of think Miami's defense is going to be kind of hard to mess with this year. It's, pairing him up with Gregory Rousseau is just oh, it's borderline unfair. You've got the AAC Defensive Player of the Year in, in Roche, who's now joining the ACC with arguably the best defensive lineman in the entire league. Um, you know, it's definitely a big get for the U. And, and you know, Rousseau's got to be pumped because it, it means he's not going to face as many double teams as he was probably facing last year. Now, two guys I saw that I thought went really, really under the radar, but I think could be potentially big moves were one was Tariq Black, Michigan to Texas. And I think that's a big move because 
Yeah, he never really panned out at Michigan. He just couldn't stay healthy. He was a very highly re- regarded recruit, and when healthy, he was productive at Michigan, but he just couldn't stay on the field. And so now he gets a, a fresh start at Texas, but Texas is hurting at wide receiver, guys. I mean, they lost uh, Devin DuVernay, their leading receiver from last year. They're Mr. Do-It-All. They lost Colin Johnson, their six six stud second receiver. And then Brennan Eagles – we don't know if he's going to play this year with everything that's going on in the social justice movement. He's saying he, he might take the year off because he doesn't feel like football is important right now to him. And, and we were, and obviously we respect his decision to do so, but Texas now is going to, could potentially be coming in down three of their top receivers from last season. So to me, this, this grad transfer Tariq black is, is much more important now for Texas and, and, and for the continued development of that offense and what Tom Herman's doing down there. And then the second guy was Jack Crane, a kickoff specialist who went from Wazoo to Wake Forest. I know everybody's like, oh, here we go. He's going to talk about Wake Forest and how a kickoff specialist is an impact. But, guys, we lost two games last year, the Louisville game and the Syracuse game, because we could not stop them on kick returns. Literally, we lost the field of position. But, hey, we, we allowed multiple – kick return touchdowns in those games. But then we had to start pooching the ball to the 40 and the 35-yard line, just hoping they call a fair catch because we were on them so quickly. And that's where their average starting – because they, we, we, we did not have a kicker. As great as Nick Skiba was, and he set the record for most consecutive field goals made in the NCAA history, he's not a great kickoff specialist. He, he did not – he's not great at, at touchbacks. This guy – Jack Crane is, that's what he's known for, is booming the ball on kickoffs, creating great field position. And you're talking that impacted us for two losses last year that could have been wins. It made the difference between starting uh, six, I mean, we would have been, we'd have been nine, a nine-win team going into the bowl season versus a seven-win team. So completely different outlook in the season with Jack Crane. I'm really excited to get him on the roster and honestly might be the biggest grad transfer Wake has this year, and that's saying something because we have Terrence Davis, who was a four-star recruit at at uh, Maryland, who started 33 games at Maryland on the offensive line. But I'm more excited about a kickoff specialist. It's crazy. Now, one other guy who caught my eye was Trey Sermon, a uh, running back who went yep. from OU to Ohio State. Gless, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's interesting because he had such a great 2017, 2018, looking at his stat line. Um especially his 2018 rush for 947 yards and 13 touchdowns for the Sooners. Really had a step back last year, I'm guessing, is because of injuries. Um, really only played in nine games, 385 yards and only four touchdowns. But he's a productive college player, and he showed that he could do that in 2018. One thing to note, too, I mean, if you're an Ohio State running back, you generally end up getting 1,000 yards and, and getting the ball out. I think that's one of the things – a lot of people forget about Ohio State. Yeah, you have Justin Fields, and you have all these skilled players. They may have the best uh, the best group of receivers that we're going to see in college football this season. Mm-hmm. But generally, the guy who runs the rock for Ohio State tends to be pretty darn good. I mean, it's just just the facts have it. Now, <laughs> Ohio State's looking to re- replace J.K. Dobbins. Uh, got a couple contenders in there. Master Teague is really the guy who, going into spring, was going to be – uh, the primary back because he was Dobbins back up a year ago, but with Trey Sermon in there to challenge him for that starting spot. And Teague, look, in a backup role last year, had the same amount of touchdowns as Sermon had. 
right? He rushed for mm-hmm. 789 and had four touchdowns. So even though Dobbins is gone, I think it's in really good hands for Ohio State with Teague and Sermon battling it out. Mm-hmm. And guys, that really he's probably holding that running back position uh, until the next class comes in. Guy, the Henderson kid from, from Hopewell here in the state of Virginia is a five-star running back who's already committed to Ohio State. So I, I don't believe that, you know, he may win the starting job here or maybe Teague will, but I think the Henderson kid a year from now will probably talk about challenging for the starting spot. But I think it's huge for Ohio State to get some more more running back talent. You were talking about the rich getting richer, you know, going from a, a team that was in the college football playoff and now he just goes to one of those other teams. So like to see Trey Sermon, see what he can do there, see if he can have a bounce back season and ultimately try to win that job for Master Teague in the Ohio State backfield. Yeah, and, and you know what? I'm I'm kind of pulling for Master Teague, I think, because that is such an awesome name for a running back. It is. It's like it's, I mean, it's a great name for a football player in general, Master Teague. But I would like to hear that name uh shouted more often because you know they always play on Fox Sports One, you know, a lot of times Ohio State. And so I'd love to hear Gus Johnson, Master Teague, breaks free from the defense. That'd be a great one. <laughs> uh, Pastel, why don't you wrap up some of our transfers here and, and talk about the next two guys that, that you thought made a big impact? Well, the one we're not sure if he's going to make a big impact this year or not, even though I believe he will, and that's Cade Mays. He's the offensive guard that transferred from the University of Georgia to the University of Tennessee. Now, Tennessee – will have one of the most dominating lines in not only the SEC, but in all of college football. When you pair him with Trey Smith, you're talking two potential first-round talents. The question is, obviously, will Cade Mace be eligible? So we're not going to speculate too much, uh, other than I do believe he will play this year. But the next one that I think was a huge transfer from the FCS ranks, and that's Jabril Cox. I mean, Jabril Cox, he dominated all over the field on the FCS level from North Dakota State University. He's transferring to LSU. And I think he's going to step right in for LSU and kind of make that immediate impact that he had at uh, North Dakota State, where he last year was the the leading tackler for North Dakota State as far as solo tackles with 57. He ended up with 97, 92 tackles total, nine and a half tackles for a loss of 5.5 sacks. So, like, he's kind of that do-it-all linebacker that will thump you in the run game and go out and be a pass coverage uh, linebacker as well. So I think you really can't underestimate that that transfer for LSU as well. Yeah, and jumping from North Dakota State to LSU says to me that you know, you're you're jumping to the you're jumping from the FCS national championship. Go Bison, by the way. Yeah. To, <laughs> to knife in the side. Sucks. Sorry, Pasta, I couldn't resist. I get it. One champion to another. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, they jump. Uh, they jump from from one champion to the FBS champion. So it's it's very. Uh, I mean, it just shows the kind of talent he is and and how far ahead of the competition he probably was playing last year because you, you just don't make that kind of jump if you're not an elite stud. So Jabril Cox, and, and you know, those aren't all the top transfers for 2020, but those are the ones that really stood out to us. I mean, obviously Miami brought in Derek King, you know, Northwestern brought in Peyton Ramsey, uh, Arkansas brought in Felipe Franks, Utah brought in Jake Bentley, some other big quarterback transfers that could really make some noise about how the conferences play out this year. But it, But in our eyes, these were some of the biggest ones for us now switching gears to back to the high school recruiting just some notable commitments this week and and not a ton of huge news from the commitment standpoint but some decent ones you had Garrett Dillinger a four-star offensive lineman 
commit to LSU, and his commitment bumped them up into the top ten. And then Michigan, Jim Harbaugh lands two nice pieces with two four-star players committing, one in Quentin Somerville, four-star defensive end, uh, and then the other one, Christian Dixon from Matter Day, four-star wide receiver. And then uh, Gless, this is the one I really wanted to focus on, four-star athlete who commits to Washington, and that's Will Latu. Why don't you talk to us, talk to us a little bit about him? Yeah, so it's a huge get for Jimmy Lake and the Huskies, and I'll tell you why. Here in the 2021 class, uh, Jimmy Lake really has a chance to put his stamp on the program, obviously taking over for Chris Peterson. But the 2021 class, guys, in the state of Washington has three five-star prospects and six four-star recruits that currently reside inside of the state of Washington. So, you know, it's huge for Jimmy Lake to keep getting these 2021 uh, state of Washington four five star recruits because it really shows that he can lock the state of Washington down. Now, as far as this kid will lot to, they have him as an athlete. He's about six one two twenty. Played running back and linebacker for uh, Bethel High School. Funny, Bethel High School is actually where my mom went to high school. Huh. So in Spanaway, Washington. Uh, <clears throat> great kid. And ultimately, they have him as an athlete because he can kind of do a little bit of everything. Really good on the offensive side, but he's not a running back. And he's a heck of a defensive player, and the Huskies plan to play him at linebacker uh, as soon as he comes to UW. So, uh, you know, like to see that, you know, University of Washington continually kind of filling that pipeline with solid defensive players. I think that's one of the things nationally that people forget is how good the Huskies have been on defense the last six, seven years and the amount of talent that they've been able to send to the NFL on the defensive side of the ball. But I'm extremely excited for him to get here for a couple different reasons. Like I said, one, we're refilling the pipeline on defense. Two, homegrown talent is super important for Jimmy Lake to be able to say, hey, this is the program to go in state, even if you're a four- or five-star recruit and getting national attention. And then three, really to kind of be one of the staples in that 2021 class. I mean, there's a lot of dudes to get out there, man. You got um, – I'm pulling up the names here. You have you got JT Tumolo, five-star mm-hmm. uh, defensive tackle. You've got uh, Amika Engbuko, uh, five-star wide receiver. You got a couple four-star offensive linemen, another couple four-star receivers, and of course you have um, Sam Heward, the five-star uh, quarterback. I believe he's top five. I think he's top five nationally. So exciting for the Huskies to get him, and I think he's a huge addition. And again, it's just putting that fence around the state of Washington to say, hey, we've got a lot of great high school talent here. We plan to keep it. Yeah. I mean, in-state recruiting, we, we harp on it a ton. You know, unless you're one of the big dogs like Clemson, Ohio State, USC, someone like that, if you, it, you've got to be able to recruit in-state to be successful. I mean, for 90, 97% of college football, you've got to own your backyard. So really, really, really huge get for Washington and Jimmy Lake to keep that to keep that momentum going. Another guy I saw a notable commit was Sean Asbury II, three-star cornerback, commits to Virginia Tech. Now, I thought this was pretty cool because, guys, he's from right down the road from where we went to high school and obviously played against uh, in high school is at North Stafford. And, again, the theme of recruiting in your backyard, you know, Tech owned the state of Virginia a while ago, and now Penn State does. So it's good to see Tech start to, I guess, chip away at some of that some of that talent, but he's a pretty good guy, I mean, pretty good player. He had offers from Pitt. He had offers from uh, Boston College. He had, he had some offers from um, some Conference USA teams. JMU was on an offer. 
Army, the service academies. Good talent. I like them. Uh, Pastel, are you, how excited are you to nail down this cornerback? Well, again, kind of like what you were saying, Kenny, just nice to see someone from the state of Virginia and, of course, from the local area that we grew up in. But, really, he's one of those guys. He's a solid athlete. I think he's going to be maybe a, a starter his junior or senior year until then he's going to be good depth, which every team in the P5 conferences, you need good depth. I mean, he's not going to be an instant starter or anything, but it's, it's good to see a quality player come to Virginia Tech. Uh, I'm extremely excited about him, but I look forward – more towards him in about three or four years. Yeah, and I thought it was just really neat to see someone right down the street from where we grew up uh, get a get a, a D1 scholarship offer. It's always good to see that. And the last guy that really caught my eye for notable recruit uh, commitments this week was Taquan Johnson, a three-star wide receiver who committed to Coastal Carolina. And you're like, wow, a three-star recruit for Coastal. Why does that catch your eye? One, because he's the second highest recruit in Coastal Carolina history. So he's their, he's their second best recruit they've ever commit, had commit. But he had some big offers, guys. Like he chose Coastal Carolina over Cincinnati, Illinois, Indiana, Louisville, Vandy, West Virginia. Like he, he had huge P5 offers. These weren't like a bunch of, a bunch of nubs. Maybe Vandy's a little nubs, but you know, Illinois is decent. Indiana's decent. West Virginia certainly has some history there. And Neil Brown's got them pointed in the right direction. Um, Cincinnati's the top G5 program. So it was just really cool to see uh, a smaller guy like Coastal Carolina get a, a pretty decent recruit. Now, obviously, we talk about commitments, and with commitments sometimes comes decommitments. Pastel, why don't you fill us in on some notable decommitments this week? Yeah, so the first de- yeah, decommitment is kind of funny because, like, you know how much I've been bashing Alabama the last few weeks. But I did agree with Cluster when he mentioned, like, hey, like, I think Alabama – their biggest jump back into the top 10 will come from decommitments from other schools that Alabama will swipe in and get. And the first one is a cornerback from Ohio State named uh, Devontae Smith. He's a highly talented cornerback that just decommitted from Ohio State and all arrows point right now on 247 sports that he's going to be committed to the University of Alabama. So that, that's a big-time loss for Ohio State, not that they really needed him because their recruiting class right now is, like, one of the best ever. But definitely <laughs> someone that Alabama needed. <laughs> The next guy kind of hurts. This is a really tough week for me. Like right now, it's going this segment because I'm about to say, again, Virginia Tech, their highest highest ranking recruit that they had committed to them, Tyus Martin, who's one of the best defensive tackles in the country and one of the best defensive, our best players in the state of Arkansas, just decommitted to Virginia Tech. And there's a few people right now that think he's going to be leaned to Kansas University, which is never good when you're losing players to Kansas. Um, and then couple more players, Kamar Wilkinson, he just uh, decommitted to te- uh, from Tennessee, and he yeah. already committed to the University of Florida. And then the last player, which, again, is just kind of funny, player that decommitted from Minnesota and now looks like he's going to Kansas, is Damarian Alexander, who's, again, another highly touted recruit that P.J. Fleck had going to Minnesota, and he flips his recruit. Yeah. And it sounds like he's going to be going to Kansas. So. Sound- just a note on Taz Martin real quick. I, I, I don't um, – I think you – I think you were talking about the receiver pass or uh, Demarion Alexander committing, uh, showing prediction go to Kansas. I'm showing Taz Martin, uh, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Texas, Alabama, and Baylor. Yeah, so so those are people that offered them, but Kansas is in the mix as well. And oh, I, are they? Yeah. Okay. So look at Les Miles making moves, doing work, doing and, work. And, so and, I'll tell you this, and I, and I was kind of like, this is like a new segment I think we're gonna be doing because. There's now decommitments happening every single day. And this isn't, I know we highlight for James Tech a lot, but again, we just got Tennessee. This is Tennessee's, I think, second decommit, by the way, in the last few weeks. So I think you're going to see this a lot more rampant every single week. We're going to talk about more and more decommitments, highly touted decommitments. 
going to other programs. I wanted to I wanted to bring this up, and, and I wasn't sure if it was the right time, but since you brought it up, I will. You talked about Tennessee having their second decommitment. Obviously, Will Coxon just decommitted, and they had a guy a couple weeks ago decommit. But remember, the Tennessee's out of scholarships, and they're in the running for some pretty decent four-star players. So I think Tennessee, when you see them decommit, I honestly am, would not be surprised if they're processing – players out to make room for for bigger guys that they think are going to sign to be to be quite frank where Tennessee's at and where they have the potential to be I definitely think uh that's the case and to be honest I wouldn't be surprised I don't know if Devonta Smith is, is that guy but Devonta Smith was you know according to the composite was a three-star corner so I don't think it's too big of a loss for Ohio State but 24-7 also has him as a four-star in their individual rankings. So we'll see. But I, I do think the, the Will Coxon decommit is, isn't that big a deal for Tennessee. I think I, I legit think Tennessee's trying to, trying to get a lot of these, these three-stars out the door so they can sign some more of these four-star guys that they have their eye on. Yeah, absolutely, man. I will say this, though. You're, if you're getting recruited by Ohio State and Alabama, I don't care what star you are. You're yeah. yeah, for sure. Pastor, why don't you uh, switch gear here? We're, we're talking a lot about, and I'm, you know what? Actually, I apologize. Uh, Kamar Wilcoxon definitely was not a – he was not processed out. He's a four-star safety. So that, that would be incorrect. He definitely, he definitely just got flipped. He was not a, a process, that's for sure. But switching gears from FBS news to FCS, uh, why don't we go into a little FCS update? And, and any, anybody catch your eye that committed this week? I think this is going to be one of the – I can see this guy being an NFL-caliber quarterback right now. I, I was watching film from earlier, and usually you don't say that about a prospect coming into the FCS ranks immediately, but he shows all the intangibles, and it really makes me wonder why he wasn't more highly recruited. And that's Zach Treiner. He's a three-star quarterback that just committed to Eastern Illinois. He's six mm-hmm. foot two, 205. Now, he did have offers from FAU and Southern Miss, who we just highlighted in our Conference USA, USA segment that, you know, obviously FAU has some, some pretty good quarterbacks that have gone there and pretty good program as far as historically. I mean, Southern Miss had, you know, Brett Farbray, right? So, <laughs> but you look at Zach Trainer and you watch his, his film, and he really has a really good arm. I mean, he, I feel like every other play, he's throwing it 50 yards. And it, you know, it's obviously the receiver's taking it to the distance. But, I mean, this guy was unbelievable. And I think in 2019, he had 40-some touchdowns. He has 75% completion percentage. He also had over 300 yards rushing. Now, he's not a dual-threat quarterback, but it shows his ability to tuck in and run when he needs to. But, the, I mean, when you watch this game tape, I feel like every throw he's throwing, he is throwing 50 yards down the field. And he, so he's got a live arm. He's got good size. You can definitely see him keeping his eyes down the field when he's getting pressured. He kind of scrambles outside the pocket, but he's not, again, looking to run it. He's still hitting his receiver. Now, the funny thing is the receiver that he was throwing to last year, keep tabs on this guy, Abdur Rahim Yassin who just committed in the 2020 class to Purdue. He's a four-star athlete. He's six foot one, 180. But if you watch uh, highlights of the quarterback, uh, Zach Trainer, you'll see this receiver a lot. And he just straight mosses everybody. I mean, he is an (laughs) unbelievable receiver. So not not to get off the FCF subject, but I guarantee you this guy at Purdue is going to be an absolute playmaker in a year or two. And then the the other really school I want to talk about was Illinois State. Because in the last 10 days, they have signed approximately like four or five guys. Like, I mean, I guess they're not all three or four-star athletes, but when you have so many commitments in a week, that's, that's phenomenal. They have Winker's right. He's a, 
He's a running back from uh, Indiana. You have Cameron Wilson, who's a cornerback. You have Brody Turner. You had a few other guys. I mean, it's just it's amazing what they were able to do. And now think about it. Illinois State. They've done very well recently. In 2019, they went into the quarterfinals and lost to North Dakota State. They lost to North Dakota State three to nine. Like they almost beat them, the eventual champion that went in and beat JMU in the championship. Illinois yeah. State was that team that almost beat them in the quarterfinals. So wow. it's one of those teams that you don't hear a lot in the FCS ranks, but I think they're slowly starting to pick up steam, and you might hear about them in, the, in a year or two from now. Illinois, the state of Illinois, definitely – getting some FCS talent this week for sure. Illinois State and Eastern Illinois. A little trivia question for you guys. A little impromptu trivia question. Can you name a quarterback that has played in the NFL from Eastern Illinois? Yes. Uh, Quarterback for Dallas. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, isn't it? You're right. Where are you going with this one, Pascal? Oh, man, I was thinking uh, Tony Romo. Yeah, you're right, too. Both of those guys are from Eastern (laughs) Illinois. (laughs) Boom. So here's the other – by the way, this is interesting. So you know who the top three individual career passing leaders are at, at Eastern Illinois? Neither of those guys are number one, by the way. Number one is Sean Payton, the current head coach of no yeah, the New Orleans Saints, threw for 10,298 yards from 1983 to 1986. Then Tony Romo at 8,000 yards, and then Jimmy Garoppolo just a hair under 8,000 yards. Interesting. At, at I didn't 7, know that. So Eastern Illinois kind of turning into maybe QBU for SDS, dare we say. Uh, but pretty cool. Just to, As soon as you said that, it made me think of Tony Romo and Jimmy, and Jimmy G. And then I looked that up, and I was like, wow, I had no idea Sean Payton actually went there. That was pretty – that was pretty cool. Gless, why don't you fill us in here on the G5 top five and the top ten overall? So coming in number one, uh, we got Cincinnati. No shocker there. Cincinnati still does really well at recruiting in-state, uh, which is why they're still there at number one as far as top G5. Memphis coming in number two. They've had some big commitments as of recently, so no shocker there. I ex- actually expect Memphis to be in one of those top two spots, continuing, mm-hmm. uh, kind of continuing through the recruiting season. Uh, SMU, Toledo, and Colorado State rounding out the top five as far as the G5 programs and how their recruiting rankings are falling now. As far as top ten, not a whole lot has changed here, but we'll go through the list. Uh, Ohio State, again, number one, you're going to see that as a consistent theme, probably to go all the way till signing day. Two, Clemson. Three, Tennessee. Four, UNC. Five, USC. Six, University of Florida. Seven, Oregon. Eight, Michigan. Nine, LSU. And then rounding out this week's top ten is Texas. Yeah, I I really love SMU hanging in there. I like to see them do well. I just I, Those Dallas uniforms they broke out last year made me start to root for them. I know that's such a weird thing to say, but those are probably the best. And then I really like their quarterback as well, Shane Bouchelle. Um so it'll be really exciting to see them keep up the recruiting momentum and see what changes happen in this top ten because we've got some five stars who are who are going to start making decisions here shortly and and the one who's closest is the number one quarterback in the country, Caleb Williams. He will be deciding on July fourth, you know, on Independence Day. He will make his decision. Now it's it's Oklahoma. highly speculated that he's going to Oklahoma, and it seems to be a given. But we've seen stranger things. Man, how. I, what about this? What if he went into what if he went to LSU? I think that would be a cool story because LSU. I mean, dating back to quarterbacks. I mean, as as far as five star quarterbacks that they've gotten, with 
would be the last five star they got in Ryan Perilou. I, it had been, I think, Ryan Perilou, right? Yeah. yeah. I can't remember the last time. I mean, Mettenberg I know they. Not a five? Who? Was Mettenberg not a five star? Was he a four star? I think he was a transfer, wasn't he? Wasn't Zach Mettenberg or a transfer from? from uh, hold on, you guys keep talking. I'll look. Yeah, I thought I thought he transferred into LSU, but I don't know if he was a five star. He definitely wasn't a five star recruit to LSU. I don't. They need that intern. So, yeah, he he yeah he originally attended the University of Georgia. That's where he went. That's he was, right. He committed to Georgia. Yeah, yeah, and he was kicked off the team for uh, violation of team rules. So, um, and then went to a JUCO, and I think transferred to LSU. Yeah, yeah went to a JUCO, and then went to LSU. So. Yeah, he's definitely – but you remember LSU, that would be crazy because I wonder if Garrett Neusmeyer would then decommit, who is one of the top quarterbacks in this in this class. Obviously, he's not Caleb Williams, but, you know, he's a four-star commit to LSU as a quarterback, so I wonder if he would decommit. That would be, that would be quite a ripple effect for sure. But, well, that wraps up kind of the news this week. Not a ton of news, but we, I was really excited to get into the transfer stuff, guys. I think that's a big part of – the recruiting process that just isn't talked about enough. You know, you talk about the transfer portal, but you just don't talk about being a great recruiter of the transfer portal. And we've seen it make a lot of impact with guys like Justin Fields and Joe Burrow making big impacts last year as, as starting quarterbacks for their programs. So that wraps it up here for Recruiting Roundup. You can follow and interact with the show on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're always posting throughout the week at Prospects. 101 pod and you can also listen to us on your favorite podcast platform whether that's apple Podcasts, spotify iheart radio stitcher itunes or uh iheart radio itunes whatever it might be you, whatever you listen to we're on it so subscribe to stay up to date with all our episodes a lot of great interviews upcoming i did some more today we got some more coming up We've got a ton of great content coming down the road make sure you give us a five-star review as well we appreciate all the help with spreading the word of Prospects 101. I'm Kenny Keller for Brandon Glessner and for Brandon Pastel. Have a great weekend.